Well, good morning, Grace Baptist Church. Welcome. You may be wondering how I can simultaneously be on vacation and also preaching to you this morning, but in light of the passage before us, I thought it would be a good idea to pre-record this particular sermon. For those watching online at home uh, or elsewhere, you may not notice any difference, but for those of you that are gathered here in the auditorium, uh, you are currently watching this on the screen, and uh, that was not a move uh, to confuse you. But just once again, because of the text before us this morning, I thought it best to pre-record this sermon before I left uh, on vacation. The text before us this morning is Romans chapter 13, verses 1 through 7. And prior to COVID-19, this text did not get a lot of attention. Uh, it was certainly preached quite frequently uh, in series through Romans or otherwise, but it really wasn't uh, large in anyone's mind. But once COVID hit and we entered into lockdowns and different things, this passage became a battleground in many ways. And a lot of debate uh, was had over how we apply this passage uh, as Christians. And so looking ahead at the preaching schedule and knowing that this particular passage was going to be in front of us as I was on vacation, I thought it best to handle it myself. Uh, and so that's why we're doing it uh, this way. And so hopefully you have turned in your Bibles to Romans chapter 13. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 7. In light of the fact that this is pre-recorded, for those that are in the auditorium this morning, you may notice that as the sermon points come up, that they are smaller than normal. Uh, that is because of the technology that we use for online. Uh, but you should have your bulletins there in front of you. On the flip side of that are the sermon notes there for you. As I was studying for this sermon, the reality is this is probably the passage in Scripture that has the most said about what it's not saying than what it's actually saying. As you listen to sermons on this passage, both before COVID and during, uh, you may note that many who present on this passage spend the bulk of their time trying to explain what this passage does not say and very little time expositing what it actually does. Also, you see that in the commentaries and other helpful tools, there is much ink spilt on what this passage doesn't mean. And in fact, it seems to be far more than what it actually does. And so I hope that I can avoid that error this morning and actually walk through what this passage actually does mean and not what it doesn't. And so I think the main thought of this passage is as it relates to authority. And that is the title for the sermon this morning. And it is a word that is used repeatedly in this passage by the Apostle Paul. To set this up then, we have to note the context. And uh, I'm, I'm assuming that uh, Jacob did a great job handling the text last Sunday. And you note at the end of chapter 12, there is a, a, a few things that are said there by the Apostle Paul. One is that revenge ought never to be a part of a Christian's experience. As Paul says, quoting the Old Testament, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. 
And so in 19, at the beginning of that verse, Brother, beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. So part of what Paul has said prior to his uh, discussion of a Christian's relationship to the state, to the government, is that we are not to seek revenge. We are not to be vengeful people. That is the uh, purvey of God. That is his realm and not ours. And so I think that bears then directly on what Paul wants to tell us in this passage as it relates to the state. We ought to allow the state to do what God has ordained and instituted it to do and not to try to take that on ourselves. A natural question coming out of the context of the end of chapter 12 would be, okay, God, if I'm not supposed to take vengeance... You say you're going to handle that, and I trust you are in a big picture sense because your judgment will come at the end. But what happens in the here and now? And I think part of that is answered by Paul addressing our relationship to the state. God has instituted human government to basically, we can say in a sense, take care of wrong behavior. So when someone does something that is unlawful, the state is there to take care of it, not individual Christians and not the church. I think also verse 21 says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This of course is a statement to the church, the Christians at Rome, based on the gospel, but also has direct relevance then to our relationship with the state. And so our role as it relates to our citizenship in the here and now as citizens of a human temporary nation, uh, also understanding our dual citizenship in the kingdom, uh, is that we are not to be overcome by evil, but to overcome evil with good. We are not called to revolution. We are not called to rebellion. We are called to proclaim and live out the gospel and uh, to be then the best citizens that we can be in the nation in which we find ourselves. And so, that leads us then into Romans chapter 13, verses 1 through 7. So follow along with me, if you would, as I read the text this morning. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who cares, uh, carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes, for the authorities are ministers of God, attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them, Taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, 
Honor to whom honor is owed. This is the word of God. And so, how then do we as Christians relate to authority? In particular, Paul wants to draw our attention to the state, governmental authority. What is our responsibility, our role, and our relationship to human government? It does not seem to me to matter terribly the type of government under which we find ourselves. To Paul, he was under the empire of Rome. At this time, Nero is in power, and it's early on in Nero's rule. Later on, we know he will make Christians the scapegoat for all of the ills that are plaguing the empire and will treat them horrifically. Just prior to Paul writing this letter to Rome, Claudius was emperor. He had expelled the Jews out of the city in AD 49 and had only allowed them to return or they had only been allowed to return in AD 54 upon uh, his, his being uh, no longer emperor. And so as Paul writes this in about AD 57, AD 58, Jews have just been allowed back in the city. So there's been persecution. There has been, we could say certainly bigotry, racism, there is no democracy at this point in Rome's history. Uh, these are just the fiats that come down from the emperor. And so it, it does not seem to matter what type of government is in place. These principles, I believe, are regardless of the government we find ourselves living under. And so in the first place then, what is our attitude towards authority? Paul is very clear. Let every person... And the way this is in the original language leaves no doubt that it is everyone. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. So what ought our attitude to be? Our attitude towards authority ought to be submission. The word there, to be subject, to be in submission to, in humility, to understand the role that we play, the responsibility that we have, the relationship that we have, and to be submissive to that authority. There are many authority structures in our lives. In the family, children are to obey their parents. There is the submission of wives to their husbands. We have uh, submission of employees to employers. Uh, we have the submission of people in the church to the elders, Hebrews 13. So there are many roles and many differing relationships that we have in our lives. And the relationship that we have with the government ought to be marked by submission ought to be marked by a recognition that, as we're going to see in just a moment, this is an institution that is from God, and our responsibility is to be in subjection to it. It is authority in general, but note here the word is governing authorities. There are people attached to this. So it is certainly true that we ought to be supportive of the institutions that God has ordained, but also the people themselves. And so our attitude ought to be marked by humility and submission. I have seen a number of posts that do not bear this out. Unfortunately, many of them by Christians. Not with an attitude of submission, of subjection, not with an attitude of gratitude for those that are in positions of public service, but instead an antagonism towards them 
a reversal of roles in which for those that are purporting to say that the church and the state are to be separate, they are actually putting the church over the state and attempting to uh, twist things in that way. You would not know from many people's online presence that they take this verse and this part of the verse seriously. That our posture as it relates to the institutions that God has ordained ought to be marked by submission, subjection. In fact, Paul's going to tell us in 1 Timothy chapter 2 that we ought to pray for those that are in positions of authority so that we can leave, lead quiet lives. I would ask, as it relates to our government authorities, how often have we prayed for those that are in positions of authority? And when and if we have prayed, what form has those, have those prayers taken? Let me put it in a little bit of a different way. How often have we prayed for Premier Dennis King and for our CPHO, Heather, Dr. Heather Morrison and others, versus how often we've complained about them and the decisions that they have made? What would that ratio be? I think, again, although we are not called to abject obedience and to just follow everything that the government has to say, while that seems to be more the message that comes out of the preaching of this passage, it misses the point Paul's making, which is our posture ought to be one of submission and subjection to the governing authorities. Do the governing authorities know that? Do they feel that from those who name the name of Christ? Do they believe that we are praying for them that we are rooting for them, that we desire them to lead us in a God-honoring way? Or does it feel like they are our enemies? Does it feel like we are constantly antagonistic toward them, questioning their every decision and blocking things that they have asked us to do and sort of pushing back at every turn? And seeing conspiracies and seeing interference and manipulation and improper motives with everything that they say and do. And so again, our attitude towards authority ought to be one of humility, submission, and subjection. Our first posture ought to be to follow the governing authorities. In the second place then, this morning, Paul wants to define then what authority is. And this is a bigger topic. Jesus talks a lot about this in the Gospels. Power and authority is that which is very much desired by the Gentiles. And he says to his disciples, it should not be like that with you. It's not about power. It ought to be about service. And so power and authority are big topics. We're not going to exhaust all of that here this morning. But we are going to see at least three things from the text that Paul wants to reveal to us about authority. He says then in the latter part of verse 1, for there is no authority except from God. So understand in the first place that authority is derived from God. It finds its source in God as we saw at the end of chapter 11. And all things come from God and all things operate under the hand of God. All things operate only because of God. And those that are in positions of authority that forget that do that to their detriment. 
But Paul wants to remind us as believers that the authority that we are under is derived from God. That ought to give us pause then for the ways in which we oftentimes push back against authority, the ways in which we often run down authority, complain about authority, mock and ridicule authority, understand that authority and the governing authorities, the individuals themselves, they have a derived authority from God himself. It comes from him. One of the most striking interplays with this is Jesus before Pilate. Jesus is about to be executed and he is being executed under the authority of Rome. You'll note Jesus does not start a revolution against that authority. He does not rebel against that authority. He willingly, for our sake, submits to that authority and goes to the cross. And yet, as he is speaking with Pilate, Pilate is almost incredulous as he speaks to Jesus to say, do you not know who I am? Pilate in that moment has forgotten who he is and he has no concept or does not seem to of the authority that he has only because of God. He believes his authority is absolute, checked perhaps only by the emperor. And so Pilate looks at Jesus to say, I have your life in my hands. Do you not seem to get that? And Jesus' response to Pilate is, you would have no authority except that which my father has given you. Jesus understood that the authority that Pilate had over him was a derived authority only given to Pilate by his father. And yet, and perhaps even because of that, Jesus does not then rebel against that authority, but even in that moment submits to it. Ultimately, we submit to the authority of God, which ought to mean then that our posture is to submit to the authorities that come from God. It seems hypocritical or at worst contradictory to say I'm under the authority of God, but I do not believe myself to be under the authority that God has derived, that derives from God, that God has given. And so Paul wants to remind all the Christians in Rome, there is no authority except from God. So ultimately, when we submit to a governmental authority, we submit to an authority that, that has its source in God. God has set that authority up, which means, yes, that they ought to recognize that and submit to that and govern accordingly. But even if they don't, God will judge them, uh, whether that is in the future or at some point on this side of glory. But our responsibility, our posture certainly, is to recognize that derived authority from God and to have a posture of submission to it because of where it comes from. Which leads into the second point is that it is also instituted by God. And those that do exist, Paul says, have been instituted by God. This hierarchy, we could say, this system is of God. God has instituted this. Now, we live in a sin-cursed world, and so people take advantage of authority, people crave authority, People misuse authority and abuse power. And yet God has placed this institution into our world, into human society for our ultimate 
good, ultimately, or it is for our good. We noted when we were back in Ecclesiastes last year that in chapter 5 and verse 9, an odd verse to be sure, but it says that under the king, or even the king desires cultivated fields, the reality is that even if you have a despot, even if you have a tyrant who is only in it for himself, that institution of authority is still better than chaos and anarchy. There is a benefit overall to society from this institution of God, cursed and influenced by sin as it may, as it may be. And so understand then, that when we rebel against the institution of government, we are rebelling against something God has made, that God has put into place. It ought to give us great pause for us to rebel against an institution that finds its source in God. So the institution itself comes from God and those that fulfill certain roles in that institution also derive their authority from God which they should remember, but even if they don't, we ought to, because as we noted in chapter 12, verses one and two, our minds are being transformed. We see the real picture, we understand. And perhaps as Christians, we understand human government even better than those that are practitioners of it by times, which ought to then give us pause because this person's authority does come from God and this institution in which they play their part also comes from God. And then, lastly, it is also appointed by God. Notice verse 2. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. It is not just that those in positions of authority have a derived authority from God. It is not just that the institution of governmental authority is from God, it is also true that those individuals that occupy positions of authority have been appointed by God to that position. And so in the Old Testament, whether that is a despotic tyrant like Nebuchadnezzar or someone else, God even tells his people in Jeremiah 29, you're going to be here a while. You have rebelled against me, and so this captivity is in judgment for your sins. Therefore, plant gardens, beautify your neighborhoods, submit to the government authorities that are over you. They are foreign, they are God-hating, and yet God says, I have appointed Nebuchadnezzar for this time. And of course, as we read the book of Daniel, realize that Nebuchadnezzar even came to, to understand that his authority was only derived from God. And so whatever position we find ourselves under whatever government we find ourselves, our posture ought to be one of submission and subjection. And we ought to remember that authority is derived from God. The institution of authority and the government comes from God and those that are therein are appointed by God. And the third place then this morning, what is the role of authority? We find that in verses three and four. What role then does the government play? And, and this is why co under COVID it has been a little tricky because uh, when the sphere of government does cross over into the sphere of church, how does that interplay work? And this of course at that cross section is where a lot of questions have come. 
But what is ultimately, or what ought to be, the role of authority? We find in the first part of verse 3 and the last part of verse 4, one role that authority plays is restraining evil. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Verse 4, but if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. We can discuss about whether the justice system is rightly there called. Uh, We can talk through different types of cases and different things, specific incidents. But the reality is, overall, government is instituted by God on the one hand to restrain evil. There are laws, and when individuals contravene those laws, disobey those laws, break those laws, there are consequences. You'll note, going back to chapter 12, God says to individual Christians through the Apostle Paul, it is not up to you to seek vengeance. That is not your realm. But it is the realm of the government that God has instituted. They do bear the sword. In other words, if you break the law, there are consequences, whether that's fines or actual prison time or these types of things. Of course, in the Roman context, it could even be death or slavery. But the reality is that those who cross the line, those who do evil, the government is there to hold that back. The Holy Spirit is in the world, John 17, to give it the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. We certainly have a role to play as the church to remind people of Almighty God and their uh, uh, allegiance to Him or, or what ought to be their allegiance, obedience to Him. But ultimately, when it comes to wrongs that are committed, the state has the role of punishment. And that is designed by God. So they're to restrain evil in our culture, in our society. Again, We can discuss individual laws and whether we approve of them or not. And then Canada, there's new laws coming in that we would have issues with, especially how they are written. The reality is overall authority, governmental authority, is in place to restrain evil, but it is also there to promote the good. Notice verses the end of verse 3 into the first part of verse 4. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval, for he is God's servant for your good. It is not just then that the government is there to crack down on those that are evildoers, that are lawbreakers, but they are also there to promote that which is good, that, that service to one another, that, that sense of community and, and moving things forward, beautifying things and doing things well, This is also part of what government does. They give approval to those who do what is in the best interest of the community, of the society. That's certainly how it ought to be, for sure. Notice, though, how Paul describes the government authorities in both cases. In verse 4, he is God's servant for your good. And then the end of verse 4, for he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath. Whether restraining evil or promoting good, Paul shows us and reminds us that because of the derived authority that ultimately comes from God, individuals that are in places of governmental authority are servants of God. When they act like that, 
then society flourishes. When they forget that, God will judge. However, whether they are in obedience to God and submission to God and understanding their derived authority, the derived nature of their authority or not, they are still God's servants. And we see this repeatedly, especially with the nations of the Old Testament. God says the heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord. And so as Christians, as believers that supposedly, hopefully, believe in the sovereignty of God, our posture then ought to be submission because we ought to recognize that regardless of whether we agree with a particular politician or governmental authority or a particular position the government takes or rule or law that is enacted, ultimately we know that they are servants of God. God is still in control of all things. God is still sovereign over all. In the fourth place then this morning as we draw to a close, we note our motivation for submitting to authority. Paul wants to show us two things here from verse 5. Therefore, he says, one must be in subjection, going back again to our attitude towards authority, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. There are two things there that Paul wants to bring out. Then the first is, yes, we, all, we want to avoid um, God's wrath. We don't want to be punished. We, we don't want to cross the line. We ought to be hesitant to go against the governing authorities. Now, clearly, again, a favorite passage of everyone, especially during COVID, has been Acts 5.29. We ought to obey God rather than men. And so, yes, we compare Scripture with Scripture. We're not denying that. But there ought to be a posture of submission because to go against the authorities will bring punishment. Now, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ went against the authorities, both religious and civil, and he bore the punishment on our behalf. Paul has gone against the, the, the authorities, both religious and civil, and has also borne that punishment and down through church, church history. Many of our brothers and sisters have spent time in prison and have even lost their lives in martyrdom because of going against God's authority, God's authorities. However, our posture ought to be one of submission because we do understand that if we go against authority, we will then face the punishment for doing so. But Paul also wants us to let us know, and it's also for the sake of conscience. We understand, again, what perhaps even the governing authorities themselves do not. They may feel they're in their position because they've been elected by their constituency. They may feel they're in the position because of their talents and gifts. They may feel they want to use their position for their own benefit. There is much corruption in all of the world and certainly in politics and human government. They may deny God and they may certainly deny that any of their authority comes from him. But we know these things. As Christians, we know the truth. As mentioned before, when we're in Romans 12, 1 and 2, we have our minds transformed by the word. We're not conformed to the world. We understand things as they are and also as they ought to be. And so Paul says, knowing then that authority comes from God, that the institutions have been set up by God and that this individual has been appointed by God, that ought to inform how we interact with that government official. That ought to inform our posture towards the human government that God has put into place. We understand, perhaps better than anyone in government, uh, what government is for and how it's supposed to operate that it's supposed to look like verses three and four. We understand those things. 
And so we ought to be cheering for government to be what it ought to be and not ever actively working to tear it down, to undermine it or to rebel against it. That ought not to be our posture. Notice that in the last place, verses six and seven, we're back to where we started. Paul started with our attitude towards authority. Let everyone without exception be subject to the governing authorities. And now verses six and seven, he says the same thing. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed. Honor to whom honor is owed. This seems to be how the early church understood the Christian's relationship to the state, mirroring Jesus' words in the Gospels. You remember these unlikely uh, allies. The Herodians had no time for uh, the Jewish religious authorities necessarily. They were uh, pro-Rome and they were desirous to adopt Roman culture. And so they made very unlikely bedfellows with the Pharisees. But on this, they wanted to trap Jesus. Though so they send some representatives to Jesus and they ask him, should we pay taxes to Rome or not? And it's always hilarious to me when individuals think they're going to get Jesus, when finiteness thinks they're going to fool infinite, the infinite, when that which is very limited in knowledge thinks it's going to trip and trip up and trick omniscience. But they go and they ask this question. They believe there's no right answer for Jesus. If he says, yes, we ought to pay taxes to Rome, then he's going to lose a lot of followers and not very many people are going to believe that he's the Messiah since their view of the Messiah is that he's there to cast off Rome and lead a revolution against and restore Jewish supremacy. If he says, no, we should not pay taxes to Rome, they think they also have him because now he is seditious and he is going to perhaps be up on charges as being a dissident. So regardless of how he answers that question, they believe they're going to undermine him. They're going to trap him in his words. And what does Jesus do? He calls for a coin and he says, whose superscription is on the coin? Whose image is on this coin? And it's Caesar's image. And so Jesus says two things, render to Caesar what is Caesar's and render to God's what is God's. In the first place, whose image is on the coin? Caesar's image. So give back to Caesar's what is his. What, what is his. Quite literally in verse seven, in the original language, it says to give back. As good citizens, we receive services from the government, infrastructure, roads, all kinds of things, police, fire, you name it. And so we ought not to be freeloaders. As believers in Jesus Christ, we ought to be good citizens of wherever we find ourselves. And so the money that is necessary to operate the institution of human government is that human government's, their, their image is on it. And so Jesus says, give to them what is theirs, what is due them. This is what Paul says here, and it is what Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 2. But notice Jesus also says something at the end of that. He says, and render to God what is God's. Whose image is on us? It's God's image. We are made in the image of God. And so there is a very clear delineation there, although not a, a sharp dichotomy, but a very clear delineation. The things of this life are the things of this life. And so God has ordained, appointed, and instituted human government 
to restrain evil and to promote that, that which is good. And in order to do that, Christians ought to gladly participate in that. We ought to be tax-paying citizens, law-abiding citizens. And yet ultimately, we do understand that we bear God's image and that we are born by him twice. We owe our life to him and we owe our life to him as believers in Jesus Christ. And so we bear his image. And so the things of the life to come, those are God's and those are our soul, ours. And so the attitude we ought to have towards authority is respect and submission. Yes, bearing in mind that it is not ultimate. Our ultimate authority is God. But to divorce God's ultimate authority from the authorities that he has in place, I do not think is wise. And I have seen a lot of that during this time. Is it always cut and dry? No. Have these been easy waters to navigate? No. But as believers in Jesus Christ, what ought our attitude towards authority be? The same as our attitude towards God's authority in our life. And that is submission. That is subjection. Will there, may there be times where we must, with fear and trembling, disobey human government? Yes. But far too often I have seen individuals take this passage and spend 90% of the time on what it doesn't say and very little time on what it does. And so Grace Baptist Church and those watching online, I think that our posture ought to be submission and subjection to authority. Ultimately God's authority in our life, but also the authorities that he has put in, into our, our lives. So do we pray for our authorities? Do we let them know that we are praying for them? I thank God that at the beginning of all of this, I've had an ongoing uh, relationship with the CPHO and with the EMO here on the island, a relationship that I did not pri previously have. And I'm grateful in some ways that I've been able to forge that relationship and hopefully that relationship will continue even after COVID uh, is done. But it is not an easy role to govern. It is not an easy position to have in politics. And so as Christians, we ought to make the job of those that are in governing authorities as easy as possible. Are we going to disagree? Yes. Are there times where we may have to civilly disobey? Certainly. But Paul wants to let us know, vengeance is not ours. That is God's ultimately and the institution of human government in, this, in, in the in-between time. And also we do not, uh, we overcome evil, I should say, with good. Has that been our message? Has that been our testimony during this time? I pray that it has, and I pray where it hasn't, we will repent and we'll move forward and do better to submit to God and to the authorities that God has put into place in our lives. Let's look to him in prayer. Father, we are thankful this morning for the opportunity to be able to gather. We thank you for technology that we could have pre-recorded this sermon so that it could be preached uh, even this morning uh, while I am on vacation with my family. Father, we are grateful for so many things. And yet, oftentimes, we find a lot to complain about. And an easy target seems to be those in positions of authority. Father, where we have sinned in this area, may we repent. May we confess our sin 
And may we strive by the grace that you provide to do better. Father, as someone in leadership, I understand a little bit about what it's like to have more information than those that you are leading. And your decisions are oftentimes questioned, second-guessed, and outright opposed. Father, I also understand how hard it is, even given all of the information that you have, to make a decision, and I am grateful for my fellow elders here at Grace Baptist and the leadership team that we have. And Father, we don't always get it right. But Father, I am thankful that ultimately you are on the throne, sovereign over all things. And so as we hopefully gladly and willingly submit to your authority, may we also submit to the authorities in our lives that you have placed. Father, we have been remiss by times to not publicly pray for our governing authorities. And so we do want to pray for Dr. Heather Morrison. And we are grateful for her and for her work and effort uh, on our behalf here on PEI. Father, we want to pray publicly for Premier Dennis King. We're thankful for his leadership. We want to pray for him, for his family. And Father, we want to continue to support him and our other MPPs and MLAs, Father, as they seek to do their best uh, to serve us here on PEI. We also pray for the federal government, for our MPs here on the island who represent us in Ottawa, as well as for our Prime Minister, Justin Trudeau. Father, far too often we, again, find ways to undermine, uh, to be poor citizens. And yet, Father, I pray that even in disagreement, uh, that we would be respectful, that we would be courteous, and that our posture would be one of submission and subjection. Father, I pray that we would not read your word and find multiple ways to say what it's not saying instead of dealing with what it does. And so, Father, I pray that the message from this passage of Scripture would resonate in our hearts, not that we would be blind. Our eyes are more open than those that are unregenerate, Father. And we have seen that from Romans 12, 1 and 2. Not then that we just are complicit and compliant in everything. Uh, Father, you have told us to be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. But oftentimes we remember and practice the first and do not practice the second. And so give us that posture of humility, Father, I pray, in your precious and powerful name. Amen.